Okay, so I am just gonna preface all of this by saying there are, I have this knack for choosing passages that have been historically debated about for hundreds of years, and there's no consensus. And so I often find a bit of tension because I'm like, can I really authoritatively speak on this? Because if there's people that are way more educated than me that can't come to a consensus, how am I supposed to come to a consensus? Um, and I'm going to try to do my best, but I, I just want to preface all of it by saying that I don't know how I can do this without there being some information. Um, and I debated about, do I just kind of skip over this part and just go to something a little bit easier? But I do think that there's some really um, thick, important, I would say dense uh, theology that happens here that is important for us, I think, to know. Uh, so much so that even when I was listening today or, or this week, there's actually part of this text that's being debated about right now in churches because of false teachings. And false teachings obviously are really important to this text because that's what Paul is really dealing with here. So this is my preface. I think it's important for us to know who Paul is, which is why, like I said, I included Acts and how it's meaningful to us. So I'm going to try to do my best in that way. Um, so can we, uh, we just kind of dive right in? and get to the really meaty part, which is we're going to talk about suffering. Yay. <laughs> so excited. It's very, very exciting. Um, I'm, I'm highlighting some stuff that I'm going to emphasize, and I'm doing that. I have four or five slides uh, that I think that need to be emphasized. Um, but looking at this text, it says, I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Um, so before, um, if you remember last, last week when I was talking, uh, verse 23 ended with, I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. So that's kind of where I ended the text, right? And I wanted us to read the book of Acts because it's really, well, not the whole book, but the section that we read this morning. I wanted to read it out loud because I wanted you to hear who Saul and Paul are. I mean, it's the same thing. Some people debate about was there a conversion of name. I think it was just more situational. In some contexts, he was referred to as Saul. In some contexts, he was referred to as Paul. Um, setting that aside for a moment, we see the story of this man who persecuted followers of the way of Jesus. And then through a supernatural act, he struck blind and through that blindness, God works. And what I love is uh, just a really, really brief part. I love that while he was physically blind, he was not spiritually blind. And I think that's a really, really important thing. The text says that as he was praying, he saw a vision of this man that would come named Ananias. And you saw Ananias, who in spiritual sight is praying. God comes to him, and I love his response, which is, he's not like, all right, uh, no thanks. Here I am, Lord, which is such a profound statement. Here I am, Lord. So he's posturing himself to see and to listen, and even when he hears some difficult things, 
he goes and, and obediently responds to God's, I mean, he did an act of worship, which was for, for remember, he's saying, I'll just, I think it's important for me to read this. Um, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he, here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. Bless you. His act of obedience, he understands, could provoke suffering, prison, death. But rather than being concerned about, I mean, clearly he's concerned, but rather than operating or responding out of fear of what could happen, he responds by obedience and worship. So he goes, he prays for Saul slash Paul, and we see that there's a process of healing um, and also a process of receiving the Holy Spirit. But there's something really interesting that God uh, says to Ananias, and he talks about that basically he's going to let Paul know the sort of suffering that he's going to experience. And then fast forward, you see this letter to the Colossians, which happens years and years later into his ministry. And what is, where is Paul writing this letter from? From prison after he's already gone through a significant amount of suffering. So he's writing, actually living in. So this, I mean, realistically speaking, God gives Ananias, Ananias a prophetic word, which is to say he's going to experience a lot of suffering. Fast forward, he, he's living into that prophecy now. He's in suffering. He's in the midst of suffering. He's in the midst of affliction. And that's where we find Paul writing this text. And he's saying, I'm now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake. And then he says something which is super weird, and this is where the core of the debate is. And in my flesh, I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Now, why this is such a weird, debated text is, how often have you heard me say, it was finished on the cross? I mean, I don't know, more than I have fingers. And how many times have you heard that? It is finished on the cross. So then for Paul to say, I'm completing what is lacking, you're like, whoa, pump the brakes, Paul. <laughs> no. And I think this is really important to point out. And this is, this is where I feel completely inept. I think I could read a thousand different books and I would still, I'm going to try to do my best to explain and it's a sort of mishmash of different perspectives on this. But from like a personal perspective, the way that I read this, and I'm saying this is Sean's perspective, when it's saying, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. This is Sean's personal. This is how, when I first read it, this is how it impacts me. Okay? Uh, approximately how long ago did Jesus die from today? Give or take? A few years, right? We weren't there at the cross. We weren't there when he was being be beaten, when his clothes were being torn from him, right? And so how, I mean, we have like movies that sort of help us to connect with the sufferings and afflictions of Christ, like the, the movie The Passion of Christ. If you've seen that before, I think that becomes visually something that we can connect with. But I think at times, when, at least when I read the text and I read suffering and affliction, I, it's hard for me to relate to that because 
even in my worst sort of sufferings, it's, I didn't hang on a cross, right? So when I read this text, what I see is that here is this man who is willing to suffer so that we might see the suffering of Christ. Like maybe we're far enough removed where we can't, we, we can't be there at the cross. We can't see that. But we can look to Paul and we can say, here's this man that believes so much in the gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ, that he would be willing to be imprisoned for it, that he would be willing to be shipwrecked for it, that he'd be willing to be afflicted deeply for this man named Jesus. So that's my first response, how it, it reaches me. But then it gets, there's a Hebrew thought that's really important to, to point out here. And this is what he's actually speaking to in this text, is that in Hebrew thought, there's something called the individual and the community. And for us, that's a little bit difficult, difficult to understand. For us, it's largely about the individual because we don't live in an honor-shame culture. So it's very easy for us to separate ourselves from our families in terms of our decisions. It's very easy for us to separate ourselves from our community in our decisions. It's very easy for us to separate ourselves from our city in our decisions. So when you make a decision and I make a decision, more often than not, I'm making the decision based off of what's best for me. Maybe if we extend that out, what's best for my household. But when you make your decisions, are you considering your neighbor to your left or to your right? Maybe if you have a shared fence, <laughs> right? But other than that, for the most part, we make decisions based on what's best for us and our household. But in Hebrew thought, it's not that way. There is a sense of the individual, but it's set within the context of a community. So what I mean by that is my suffering that I experience as an individual is a suffering of the community. And the community that's suffering, I suffer as an individual. So when he's saying here, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's affliction, he's setting it in the context of an individual and community. So that's not saying that Christ somehow lacked in his affliction, somehow his work on the cross wasn't complete. And the only way it's going to be complete is if Paul goes to jail. It's not that scenario. What he's saying is, is that I need to work out in a community because there's the now, the not yet, but then also what's already happened. So we can see Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Okay? Period. But then we know that Jesus says he's going to come back, right? So there's this gap between it is finished and he's coming back. And Jesus has said umpteen times, you will suffer, you will be afflicted. And so Paul is demonstrating to them what it looks like to be afflicted, to live fully into the community of suffering as an individual and as a community. So he's saying, I will suffer for you so you don't have to suffer. Does that kind of sound like Jesus? I will suffer for you so that you don't have to suffer. Now, that doesn't mean they won't suffer, but he's saying, I will take on the suffering so that you won't have to. So he's resonating with the work of Christ. So he's saying, in many ways, when it says completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, he's saying, in our midst, what it means to be afflicted and to suffer. Does that make sense? Hopefully, kind of. Like I said, this is really difficult stuff to explain. But I think it is important, like, bringing it down to us. 
Um, I want you to consider for a moment um, what does suffering and affliction look like for one another as the body of Christ? How is God inviting us as a community to suffer for one another? Not just personally, like our own personal affliction, but that we're so close in contact and so in love with one another that we're willing to be disoriented on the behalf of somebody else. I think ultimately that's, when I read this text, that's what I see Paul really inviting us into. He was willing, and furthermore, not just willing, he rejoiced in the sufferings that he was experiencing for, for them, not for himself. It wasn't like he was getting some holy merit badge, right? Or like this certificate from Jesus, like, hey, you did it. No, he's saying, I'm willing to experience these things. I'm willing to, to suffer for you, to be afflicted for you. Bless you. And, and I would consider, like, in the context of community, what does that look like for us? What does it look like, and, and you know, in, in context of some of the suffering that's going around in the world, what does it look like to, to join in people's sufferings and affliction? Something for us to consider, and I think that's what Paul is really doing, because it's set within the context, and this is what I didn't bold, is he says, that is the church, the body, that is the church. There's a purpose, there's a plan. Why, why did Christ suffer for his people? Why do we suffer for one another. So we keep on going in the text. Um, thanks, you heard me. <laughs> I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So pause. So you can, we read about that commission this morning. We heard about the commission. Is that Paul was going to be tasked with sharing this good news. Continuing, and what is this good news? The mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. So if you were just to, to, to guess, when he's saying the mystery, what do you think he's talking about? Maybe. God's word. Holy Spirit. Okay. I think I, want to unpack, I wanted to unpack when he says the mystery. Um, this is actually in reference to something that happened in Daniel. Oh, years, hundreds and hundreds and years ago. Uh, in, the, in the book of Daniel, we read about this, this instance where there's dreams and then there's interpretations, right? So there's this dream that God's prophesying. It's a mystery. And then there's this interpretation, and that's a pattern that's followed throughout history. Um, and it's really important that we understand that the mystery was the dream, and then there is an interpretation for that. And that's the cycle. Dream, interpretation, dream, interpretation, dream. However, one thing that's always lacking is really one important element, which is time. So you have these dreams that take place, and you have these interpretations, but there's no really sort of time element involved with it. And so it would be like, remember, Ananias receives from God this word, that Paul will suffer. But the time element is <laughs> way in the future. The same thing with Daniel. 
here's this dream and here's this interpretation, but when is it going to happen? Well, time progresses. And so you have throughout the ages and generations, here is this prophecy, and here is a relevant interpretation, but now time. And it's passing through time, passing through time. The mystery is Jesus. That's what, that's what they've been waiting for, is the Messiah. They're waiting for, so they've, they've heard about this prophecy, and we're familiar with the prophecy because we have these liturgical rhythms, right? This calendar that we follow, Jesus, 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 Jesus. So we can say, oh, this prophecy points to Jesus, like a perfect one that we celebrate at Christmas time. Where is the baby born? Right? Prophecy. Clear interpretation. And it took how many years for the timing of it? There's something to be said about what God says, how we interpret it, and then the practical outworking of that. And guess what's in the middle between what God says, how we interpret it, and it happening? Suffering, <laughs> affliction, waiting, patience, agony, self-control. Just insert fruit of the Spirit, <laughs> right? And so for me, it's really interesting is, is that Paul is pointing out he was commissioned to make the Word of God fully known, and it was a mystery. This is past tense, the mystery that had been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. Remember, who are the saints? The Colossians that are receiving this letter. They're holy, as he said before in the previous text. Uh, can you give me the next slide? So he unpacks it more. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. So it wasn't just a mystery that was for Israel, right? Because they were the ones waiting for the Messiah. They were the ones waiting for a Savior. Who was Paul supposed to reach out to? The Gentiles. The people that were technically outside of the circle. They weren't even hypothetically aware of the mystery because, remember, Israel was supposed to be a nation that put on display Yahweh. But Israel did a poor job of that. So it just kept on, Jesus kept on being mysterious throughout the ages. Yahweh kept on being mysterious throughout the ages. And then all of a sudden, he comes as a baby, vulnerable, lives, dies, is resurrected, no longer a mystery. We can point to a specific time period when Jesus came alive died, resurrected. So it's no longer a mystery. And now the Gentiles, Paul can say to, to the Gentiles, those that were on the outside, now they get to be on the inside. And he says to them, this is this mystery. But what is this mystery? And I highlighted it in green, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I really want to emphasize this. The mystery doesn't just say that we can point down on a timeline, right? So he, let's imagine a timeline. And we can point to a specific time when Jesus was born, and we can say, oh, well, it's no longer mysterious. Thank you very much. I'm Sherlock. I figured it out, <laughs> right? 
So there's no longer a surprise. It doesn't just end there. This good news gets better. Why? Because it says Christ in you. Just let that sit with you for a second. Christ in you. Now put that in the context of suffering and affliction. Christ in you. Yeah, we experience suffering and affliction. That's a promise. But do we do it by ourselves? No. Why? Because Christ in us. Now, I mentioned earlier that there's this massive theological debate going on. I want to be clear about this. There's actually something called modalism, which is to say it's a heresy. (laughs) And the heresy is that basically the Trinity doesn't exist and it's just God in three different forms. False. So when we read this, that doesn't negate the Holy Spirit. But what Paul's focus here is Jesus. He's reminding the Colossians that your focus isn't on these other mysteries that you're trying to search for answers. Like, what are some, what are some ways that we find answers today in our culture? Spiritualism, money, stuff. I'm sure you can think of other things. We have our, our little G gods that we have, that we worship and bow down to in culture just like the Colossians do. And so Paul's pointing out Jesus, remember? Jesus is everything that you need to know. Jesus. And so for that reason, he says Christ in you. So it's not negating the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, this echoes John 15. If you were going to read something this week, my suggestion is to read John 15. In fact, let me just read a little piece for you. I am the true vine. Now, keep this in context. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch of me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you, just as the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me, and I in them, Bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Sounds like that, huh? It's just another way of saying it. And what's interesting, too, is if they were aware of John's text at that point, further down in chapter 15, I'll just read this to you. When the advocate comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. It's this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, um, when we go through suffering and affliction, what is something that's difficult to hold on to? I'm almost at top. Hope. Hope. Right? Is that just me? So he, he literally reminds the Colossians, this mystery that once was is no longer mysterious. And this mystery is in you, present with you. 
So the, there's actually a dual meaning, and that's a debate too. Is it, it's not just that Christ is like in you, but he's also with you like a surrounding. His presence with you. And in the midst of the suffering and, and affliction, he provides hope. It's for that reason that Paul was proclaiming Warning everyone. He's like, hey, stop looking for answers over here. It's right here. It, can, it can't be more plain. Now, I say that, how many times do we all look for answers over here? <laughs> and then we have to like moonwalk back and we're like, okay, I know you have all the answers, but what about, I know you have the answers, but, and we get into this cycle, don't we? So Paul is saying, this is why I proclaim this truth, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that, that we may present everyone immature in Christ or mature in Christ. Now, this word right here is super important for me because it reflects a process. And I think that's critical is Paul is, isn't, condemning them. He's not saying, well, listen, you dinglings, when are you going to get it? You know, I'm frustrated with you. He's saying, I'm going to keep proclaiming this. I'm going to warn you. I'm going to keep teaching you. Why? So that way you can be mature in your faith, mature in this truth, mature in this hope, mature in the reality that Christ is in you. And it takes time. Paul didn't get it, and even when he got it, he literally had to be physically touched by God on a road and struck blind. And it took somebody coming to him first in a vision and then literally doing it for him to get it. I mean, last time I checked, I know a lot of us wear glasses, but that's just old age, right? <laughs> we haven't been struck blind. I mean, think about it. Paul needed to have all of that happen in his life and then years of context of discipleship before he got to this place where he could say, I rejoice in my sufferings. It takes time, but it also takes intentionality. And it takes a community. And these are all things that he's pointing out in this text. But just in case that we get discouraged or frustrated, there's another piece uh, that I put up here, which I really appreciate about Paul. So, so he's talking from a place, would you say at this point that Paul is a mature believer? I would say so. I think we can make that argument. So verse 29, he says, for this I toil and struggle with all the energy that he powerfully inspires within me. Note that his maturity isn't his toil and struggle. It's his understanding that everything that he does, everything that he is, is provoked by who? Christ in him. So any of the suffering, any of the affliction, any of the toiling and struggling, any of the energy that he has, anything that he is, John 15, anything that's going to bear fruit, anything that's worth doing, it's inspired through the work of God in him. So, I don't know uh, what toil or struggle that you're going through, I don't know. Actually, I do, for many of you. <laughs> I do. And you know my toils and struggles. And you know my sufferings and afflictions. 
which I love because we're a community. But what Paul's pointing out to us is that the way that we journey through that is together as a community of people, taking on the afflictions of one another, the toils and the suffering, but it's set within the context of Christ in us, working through us for his glory. Now, I've said I don't know how many times that I think that uh, House of God is a really special and unique context. And I think of many of the contexts that I've been in, this is something that we understand. We understand suffering and affliction really well. (laughs) Um, But I also think that we grasp hold of Christ in us. But my encouragement is that Paul's writing this letter to people that don't quite get it that are still trying to work through that. And I want you to consider for a moment how many people in your life are currently in struggles or afflictions or difficulties that need this good news proclaimed to them. How many people need this hope that don't have this hope? And I'm not talking about being like this, you know, let me give you a track about Jesus. I'm talking about being a physical manifestation. That's what Paul was talking about in that first book. Being a physical manifestation of rejoicing in suffering, being a physical manifestation of hope in suffering and affliction, and being real and being honest in that. Paul was honest about his suffering and affliction, but he was also honest about who God is in the midst of that. That's where that hope is. So let me, um, let me pray for us, um, because we're going to be sharing in communion this, this morning, which is really Uh, a sacrament that points us to the suffering of Christ for us and the hope that we have as a result of that. Um, So let's let's pray together. Uh, God, I, I think that there's a lot that could be said about this, Um, a lot to be said about the hope that we have in you. And, um, I think it's very easy for us to be distracted from that hope. It's very easy for us to be disoriented by the things that are going on in our lives and, our, and in the world around us because those are real things. And um, this morning, as we, we look to your word and we see that you are in us and with us um, and that we will experience various measures of suffering and affliction, but that we are not alone in that. I thank you that you provide us the sacrament of communion um, so that way we can have a fixed point to look to and say, you better than anybody else understands the suffering that we're in. You better than anybody else understand the affliction and pain. Um, and in the midst of that, you give life. So God, I pray this morning that we can um, take hold of that fixed point, that we can come to your table um, in thanksgiving and in praise and also in in a place of refreshment and renewal uh, that you offer with your broken body and your shed blood for us. Um, We thank you that it it, it was finished on the cross and that you are our hope and that we will be with you in glory forever because of your work and not our own. God, show us what it looks like to live uh, fully abiding in you and to bear fruit through you instead of our personal toil and struggles in our own flesh. 
And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, we'll continue in giving in a second. Um, I'll give you the baskets in just a second. Uh, a lot of times when I have a sermon that I have to prepare for and it's like a lot of informational, I think it's really difficult for me to kind of get through all this stuff uh, in my head. But I was praying this morning um, just as we were taking communion. And I think one of the things, and it could be Sean or, or it could just be something that I think God's provoking. I don't really know. Um, but I think it's worth saying and it's the emphasis of Saul's journey. Um, and I, I think that it's very easy to get sort of stuck in places in our journey. And sort of just, it's this repetitive cycle of the same thing, of the same thing, of the same thing. And, um, and I think that can be very discouraging. And what I see with Saul was this intentionality to have God do the transformative work in him. And that didn't mean that he didn't have struggles, and it didn't mean that he had dif didn't have difficulties. I mean, there is context in early in his ministry where he has some serious strife with fellow followers of Jesus, and they have to separate because they're so <laughs> in such an, an unhealthy place. Um, and I think my encouragement to all of us is just this idea that even if we feel stuck, it's a posture of Christ in me doing the work. Like, we don't have to do the work. We don't have to be the ones that get unstuck, if that makes sense. He does the work to bring us through that journey. And so I just want to encourage us uh, with that this morning, as I feel like it's something that I needed for me, um, and I think maybe for the wider body, uh, for all of us. He does the work. We just have to have open hands and an open heart.